Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, an ophthalmology OCAPS and board review podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Please keep in mind that these podcasts are for medical education only, not to diagnose that thing on your eye. We're ophthalmology residents who figured reviewing for clinic, OCAPS, or boards is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week, we'll review a high-yield topic and flesh out the why and the how. Before we start, I want to make two editor's announcements. One is that based on feedback, we're going to break this episode up into two parts so that it's not too long and drags. This week, we'll be covering the first five of the phacomatoses, and then next week, we'll be covering the rest in phacomatoses too. The second announcement is that we are going to start releasing flashcard decks with each episode. The idea is that you'll be able to use the flashcards right after the episode to help review the material that you just listened to and learned. We're going to be releasing them in the Anki format, the Anki decklist format. We picked it arbitrarily because it appears to be the most popular among medical residents and medical students. We have no financial relationship with Anki. We just like it as a service. So we're just hammering out the final details about how and when you can download these decklists. It's basically just a few logistical issues that are left. To be the most up to date, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with the number four. And that's it for our announcements, bringing you back to phacomatoses 1. Today we're reviewing the phacomatoses. Phacomatoses, every time I have no idea what people are talking about when they say phacomatoses, and then they go into the app, like three or four or five or six or seven of them, and I'm like, oh yeah, those. And I think that's a common sentiment among, you know, medical students and medical education in general with this seemingly disparate uh, class of syndromes to help break it down and remember what these are and why they're grouped together, they're neurocutaneous syndromes that were initially defined as a group of diseases that would affect the embryonal ectoderm. Hence, most of these problems affect the skin, CNS, and eyes. And as you'll see, that's in general what binds them together. And that's why, because they affect the skin so often, phacomatosis stands for mother spot or birthmark because they tend to give people birthmarks. Just a side note, ectodermal involvement is not any more a strict requirement to be considered a phacomatosis. It's a broad range of things, and we're just going to review the ones that BCSC agrees are phacomatoses. But hopefully, knowing that it's from a disease of ectodermal origin that affects the skin, CNS, and eyes helps you not only remember what the diseases are, but to remember the manifestations of those diseases. So yeah, at least the first five or six that we're going to talk about will remind you a lot of medical school, because that's what you study the skin conditions for. But surprise, it's got eye stuff on with it too. So how we're going to talk about these is we're going to try to talk about them in order, and we're going to review in brief the gene, if it's relevant, and its inheritance pattern. And then, as we talked about before, the skin, CNS, and ocular manifestations of that disease, and then you know any miscellaneous criteria. So the first one is good old neurofibromatosis type 1. What's the gene for neurofibromatosis type 1, Andrew? I don't know, Ben. How many letters are in von Recklinghausen? Uh, 17. Has anyone ever actually counted? People say that it's 17, but has anyone actually counted those things? Yeah, maybe von Recklinghausen is just punking all of us. So that's to help you remember that it's on chromosome 17 and that the gene is NF1 which should be easy to remember for neurofibromatosis 1. All right, okay. cafe au lait spots. One of the primary skin conditions you probably remember very well. 
As a medical student, I'd usually mix these up with the ash leaf spots, which we'll talk about a little later. Just remember, cafe au lait, literally brown ash leaf, kind of ashy, whitish. Okay, so you remember, at least if you look at something, it's going to be brown. Think more neurofibromatosis one. The other skin condition that manifests is neurofibroma. For ophthalmology, a specific type of neurofibroma that's relevant is a plexiform neurofibroma. These tend to have an S-shaped configuration because they're kind of noodly. And the important ocular thing to remember is that if someone has a plexiform neurofibroma of the upper eyelid, then they'll tend to have a higher incidence of open angle glaucoma in that eye, as well, of course, as ptosis, which is relevant in pediatrics. As far as what happens to you in the brain, the big thing is your optic pathway gliomas. And those will look really snake-like almost on MRIs, but really the buzzword is fusiform enlargement on your question stem. So those can affect the optic nerve itself or even further back into the chiasm. If this happens, then chemo and radiation will be your therapies for that. Right. Sometimes they have, you know, it depends. There's not much literature on which to use and when, but those are things that people have used in the past. What are some of the ocular manifestations, Andrew, of neurofibromatosis type 1? So the big one that you'll remember is the Lisch nodules, which could be like cafe au lait spots for the eyes. That's what the PCSC says. Just uh, so poetic, the cafe au lait spot of the eyes. Include that into your next love poem. <laughs> anyway, Lisch nodules are going to pop up when you're a precocious kid, 5 to 10 years of age. What you don't often actually know because you don't see it as often as they can also pop up as pigmented lesions in the choroid too. There's also sphenoid bone dysplasia, which will actually manifest as pulsatile exophthalmo. And then flavors of hemangiomas, which one pops up in neurofibromatosis, which really is as capillary hemangioma. Now, the, for the diagnostic criteria for neurofibromatosis type 1 is you have to have two or more of seven characteristics of neurofibromatosis type 1. And those can be remembered with the mnemonic CALBORN, like someone born in California. Go the figure. true chosen. Neither of us were. Oh, good. That's right. You're not a Cal- <laughs> So CALBORN stands for C, cafe au lait spots. A, axillary freckling. L stands for Lish nodules. B stands for bony abnormalities. The most relevant to us is sphenoid bone dysplasia. O stands for optic pathway glioma, again, affecting the nerve or the chiasm, typically the nerve though. R stands for a relative, i.e. a first degree relative, matches one of the criteria, one of these um, seven criteria. And N stands for neurofibroma, as we pointed out before. But remember, it doesn't have to be the plexiform neurofibroma. Let's move on to talk about type 2 neurofibromatosis. What gene causes neurofibromatosis 2? It's the wildly imaginative NF2 gene. And what chromosome is that? Also the imaginative chromosome 2-2. You're so imaginative, nature. By the way, both neurofibromatosis 1 and 2 are autosomal dominant. And as we'll see, most of the phacomatoses are autosomal dominant. We'll point out which ones aren't in a bit. So I'm going to skip ahead to the eye findings in type 2. It doesn't really do any of the common things you remember from med school, which is good. So if you think something sounds familiar, call it type 1. But for neurofibromas type 2, there's three main things. Posterior subcapsular cataract. The other two are wedge-shaped cortical cataracts and epiretinal membranes. All right, Ben, it's your this is your time to shine. 
with a mnemonic. So one way to remember that is that it stands for P-E-W, so PSC, ERM, or epiretinal membrane, and W, wedge-shaped cortical cataract. So if it helps you, that stands for PU. So you can remember that 2, neurofibromatosis type 2, preys at the PU, if that helps you. But we do have to talk about the uh, CNS and skin findings, which define this as a phacomatosis. So the skin findings... Hooray, there's neurofibromas. We got that checked off, just like there are in any neurofibromatosis type anything. Um, the brain findings, I've always sort of thought of these as more clustered around the ear. You've got your acoustic neuromas, your schwannomas, and meningiomas. So think of ears. Acoustic neuromas, schwannomas, and because it rhymes, meningioma. And then to further help you remember, neurofibromatosis type 2, the diagnostic criteria is either bilateral acoustic neuromas. You need two of them. Or if they have a first degree relative with neurofibromatosis type 2 and any of the findings we discussed, including the ocular findings, the neurofibroma, or the CNS findings. That obviously isn't exactly the criteria, but that's close enough for us. All right. Next up. Tuberous sclerosis, so named for the tubery, potato-like findings that grow in people's brains. So as you'd imagine, having a tuber in your brain isn't so good for your cognitive development. So classic findings, the triad, in fact, it's another of Voigt's triads, but who knows how many triads that guy came up with. Um, this one in particular for tuberous sclerosis, the triad is cognitive impairment, seizures, and facial angiofibromas. Right, and we'll just to review the skin findings now, a facial angiofibroma looks a lot like acne. So, you know, this can come up on tests. They can show a picture of someone who looks like they have acne, and it's really a facial angiofibroma, so it should lead you to thinking about tuberous sclerosis. To help you remember the findings in really all three categories, CNS, skin, and eyes, basically it's all an angiofibroma or an astrocytoma, which is basically an angiofibroma, uh, its manifestation in the CNS skin and the eyes. So just as Andrew described in voice triad, they can get cognitive impairment and seizures because they can have astrocytomas um, in um, in the brain. Yeah, um, the potato. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, classically, these astrocytomas are either periventricular or um, basal um, ganglia, and they look like calcifications on um, imaging so they would look like calcifications and if you know it's tuberous sclerosis and the cause of those calcifications are astrocytomas just to review again uh, we mentioned the cafe au lait spots what do they associate with neurofibromatosis type 1 so those cafe au lait spots tuberous sclerosis on the other hand have ash leaf spots on the skin which are whitish hypopigmented areas other skin findings, Ben has touched on the acne that really is not quite acne. It's actually facial angiofibromas. And then also they have this lumbrosacral chagrin patch. The ocular findings are also um, astrocytic hematomas, angiofibromas. They're, another term for them is phacomas, which is how they may be asked on tests or how they may come up in your um, literature. It's basically this whitish lesion. It's either this white, flat, dome-like lesion or a mulberry-looking thing. That's what an astrocytic hematoma looks like. And I gotta, I, I want to caution that even though this seems like a one-off fact, astrocytic hematomas, the mulberry thing, it seems to be one of the highest-yield random facts in the phacomatoses. Just remember, astrocytic hematoma definitely with the tubers. 
tuberous sclerosis. I'm, I don't know why I'm fixated on potatoes. I'm sorry. The, the one other manifestation that's not really in the skin, CNS, or the eyes are cardiac rhabdomyomas, um, which can manifest in these in children with tuberous sclerosis or adults with tuberous sclerosis. And it's important to know because that's one, along with the CNS findings, another finding that can be lethal if not found. So, you know, a general guiding point for board review or OCAPS review is they tend to like to test complications that can be lethal. So this is one thing that can be high yield. All right. So... All of these things so far are have been mostly trips down memory lane from med school. The next two will be very much that. The next one is von Hippel-Lindau disease. Like everything we've talked about so far, it too is autosomal dominant. It comes from the VHL gene, thankfully, also not a hard one to remember for von Hippel-Lindau. But not necessarily easy to remember is that it's actually supposed to be a tumor suppressor gene on chromosome 3. But there are three names. Technically, Von Hippel is one guy, but imagine he's two people. So Von Hippel and Lindau make three dudes on chromosome three. Von Hippel-Lindau, or VHL, that manifests as hemangioblastomas, just like tuberous sclerosis manifested as angiofibromas that are scattered throughout the ectoderm. Von Hippel-Lindau is hemangioblastomas that are scattered throughout. So the CNS finding will be a hemangioblastoma in the, you know, in the central nervous system. The skin findings are rare. They can get things like cafe au lait spots, but, you know, the textbooks don't really touch on that too much. So I wouldn't worry too much about the skin findings in Von Hippel-Lindau. And the ocular findings, just like in the CNS, are retinal hemangioblastomas. So uh, the hemangioblastoma that really uh, seems to be characteristic most for VHL is that which shows up in the cerebellum, at least as far as what shows up in the brain. So brain CNS hemangioblastomas are usually going to be in the cerebellum. Other manifestations of it, before we get into the re- the eyes, other manifestations, renal cell carcinoma and pheochromocytoma. So d- just to review what a retinal hemangioblastoma looks like, its hallmark is that you'll see this reddish lesion that has a pair of very dilated vessels running between the lesion and the disc, which has arteriovenous shunting. How this can become a visually significant lesion, because usually initially it's not, but it be- can become visually significant when it develops transudate, which eventually leads to a serious retinal attachment. So it can require laser or cryo, and some people will even use anti-VEGF to try to treat these leaky lesions. And that concludes this episode of Phacomatoses. We have more to cover, as you can probably tell, which will be released in next week's episode, Phacomatoses Part 2. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes4ears with the number 4. It's also very helpful if you're able to rate and review us on iTunes. And I really want to thank you, our listeners, for supporting us. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback in the last week for the first couple episodes we released, and it's really flattering to see that with such a fledgling podcast that we have. So we hope you stay tuned, and we'll see you next time on Figmatoses Part 2.